Songhezer Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. We're back. We're live on air, 12 minutes past. TK, good evening. TK, are you there? I'm there. Can you hear me? Indeed, I can. Are you well? I'm well in yourself. Not too bad, thank you. Let's start with the international flavor of this conversation, specifically what I interpreted from what little I saw that President Ramaphosa seems to be settling in in the international diplomacy space. He does seem to have a rapport with some of the leading world's leaders, as it were. And the many bilaterals he would have had can only stand South Africa in good stead as opposed to the opposite. What are your thoughts in terms of how this would have gone down at the G7 meeting, South Africa and her positioning in the geopolitical space? Well, I've taken it in two ways. I think I'll agree with your first assessment that uh, President Ramaphosa internationally, he, he, he came across well, and like you say, he's getting his airtime. But I think the biggest story, and I, I canvassed this with, if you can remember, you know, back in the day when President Thabo Mbeki used to leave the country, would seem like every week, and the questions people would ask is, what does this really mean for South Africa? And then if you look at what that meant for FDI, it really was not too much. But the question I'd posit maybe back to you in the audience is to say, if you look at South Africa's foreign affairs, it seems quite confused. And I say this, that yes, it's good to be part of the G7. But again, you have to understand, we don't actually qualify to be part of the G7. We're not actually a very big economy. And if I'm not mistaken, for the last 10 years, we've really embedded ourselves with the uh, with the Chinese and the Russians, basically other developing countries. So it sends a very confusing message, if you look at it in that return, to say, where do we exactly stand? Because the G7, especially the G7 in 2021, was really about America coming back to to what's termed normality post-Trump. And I really don't see how we're going to get anything past that. And I think that, for me, is a bigger question to say, where does our foreign affairs policy currently stand? Because if I had to say, look at it, I'd say it seems quite confused. Because for the last 10 years, we've been building solid relationships with BRICS countries. Now you're jumping over to the G7. I'm not saying, look, you have to pick one or the other. I think you need to always leave your doors open. But sometimes we really need to read the room to say, I don't see how this really takes us forward, especially if you're speaking about issues such as the vaccines. Because if I'm not mistaken, the most effective one, just using, I think, a medical journal of Lancet, is actually the Russian Sputnik. So really, that for me is a bit of the confusion about the, the G, this G7 meeting. Would it be a question of either or? I get a strong sense from what you have said. We need to literally pick a side, as it were, and go with it. I, I, I need to. I, I go with. I think we need to read the room because if you if you read the communique from the G7, which stems from what America was saying, it's basically it's the old retort of America: we're bad, we're for human rights. You know, all countries are equal, which we know that's not really the truth. And this is what America stands. Basically, it's almost like we came in on the parade of America coming back and what America stands for. But if you really look, look deep down as to how, where America is, it's, look, it's a country that's becoming very inward. I know President Biden is not Trump, but if you really look at his policies, he's still putting America at the foremost. And he's actually asking other countries to understand that's where America needs to be. So I'm just asking if we're reading the room, uh, where does this exactly take us? As I said, I think you can have both. But the question I'm asking is, what is our foreign, what is our foreign policy standing? What does South Africa stand for? And uh, as you said, quantitatively, yes, he comes back from the G7. Has he come back with actual contracts and investments, or was he just simply there again just for photo opportunities? 
But, I mean, let's engage this, and I think the listeners can help both of us in engaging this issue, and we're not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing, but rather ventilating some of the issues, perhaps that we might feel strongly about. I'm of the view, and it's no more than just Songhezo's view, and there's no supremacy of this view. The president gets invited to the G7, seven of the world's most powerful economies absent China. This is the traditional West, if you like, in international trade and diplomacy and politics. South Africa seems to be in good standing on that platform, given the fact that they were invited, and it's optional whether or not we get invited. And Boris Johnson has decided to invite South Africa together with Australia, of course, an ally of Britain. In fact, the Queen is head of state in Australia. And, of course, South Korea, who are strong allies, if you like, with the developed world, particularly the United States. Now, South Africa gets invited. Any number of countries could have been invited. For that matter, South Africa, it was possible for it not to be invited. Nonetheless, our president went there, represented South Africa, represented Africa, represented, if you like, the global south or the global east, whatever it's called. And he was there as one of the more experienced statesmen. I mean, Joe Biden is new to the game. He doesn't know much, nor does Boris Johnson. Ramaphosa was there before them. And if you like, he is a, a senior figure in the global diplomacy space. That notwithstanding, of course, South Africa is in the new generation or the new frontier of where geopolitics might be headed, and that is to the east, Russia, India, China, real big populations with big economies, of course, with some third world challenges, and Russia, I mean, in Brazil, of course, and South Africa come on space there. The fact that South Africa can navigate these spaces, very different as they may be, might speak to what has come in many respects to characterize the first administration under President Mandela. We decided where we went as a nation. We decided who we befriended. And whatever the enemy of that one was, wasn't necessarily the enemy of the ANC come to the South African Republic. Are we not seeing, if you like, traces of times past where we become this respected player without necessarily justifying it in terms of our economy, but nonetheless in terms of our outlook and the strength, if you like, of both our democracy and her institutions? No, I think I, I can follow. I can follow the trajectory, but the, the way I follow it is to say, you know, uh, it's either you become doomed to repeating the mistakes <clears throat> of history, or you learn from them. And that's why I suppose by saying, if you remember under the Mbeki administration, one of the reports against him was, yes, we see that you're traveling, we see that you, you're quite the man of the world, and you know you need to be respected. But what does it mean for the average citizen? And this is where, as I said, I'm, I'm not a foreign policy specialist. But, but I've always had the, had the viewpoint that foreign policy, especially for developing countries, needs to equal dollars, dollars in euros. And hence my question was, what are you bringing back home? Because I think this thing of South Africans, I think we kind of, a, it's a bit like a, bit like a drug, uh, if, you, if you excuse the pun with all the vaccines flying around, that we love this thing to be loved. We love to be loved by the world. It's, it's, a, it's a very weird South African fetish that we have, that we love to be loved by the world. And I'm saying that's fine. You, there's nothing wrong with the world. But I'm just saying, in a country where, look, uh, we all know what our problems are. I don't have to ventilate them. But key among them is the issue of unemployment. What is the strategy, the strategy that brings in the, the rands and dollars and cents? If it's simply, as I said, to have a good photo opportunity, that's fine. I mean, you, you can do that all you want. But I'm just saying, if you look at where the globe is going, and I think you and I would both agree that it is going east. It doesn't minimize mm. what the Western countries sure. are. But I'm just simply saying, this is where the economies are going. And I'm asking the question, are we reading the room by saying, are we, for instance, are we actually signing on to the criticisms that Joe Biden la- labeled against the Chinese state? 
is again, if I'm not mistaken, that's one of our closest partners. So that's what I'm saying. Are we reading the room? We can do two things at the same time, but I've always preferred, I think it's almost a Chinese stance, which says we don't have friends, we don't have enemies. We only have people we collaborate with for purposes of our economy. And I think we sometimes confuse friendship and we don't like to get to that point. So all I'm saying is when we, if you ask me this question a year from now, because I think that would be probably a better way to ask it is, are you going to be able to tell me that this meeting that he had has actually brought in rands and dollars and cents into the country? Well, I don't know what your thoughts are there at home. TK Poe posing a couple of questions. I've got my views. It's not an exchange between two persons, rather two persons facilitating dialogue where the nation participates. Of course, this is public broadcasting. Let's go then, because of that, 2021 to KZN, Romeo. And I'm hoping many callers are going to come through because of what Romeo is going to contribute, together with already what TK Poe has. Romeo, good evening. 90 seconds starts now. Good evening to you, my brother, Sankas. How are you this evening? Good, good, good. Go for it. And to your guests as well, thanks uh, very much for giving me this opportunity. Um, I just want to talk about the invitation of uh, our president to Group of Seven, the world countries. For me, I saw it with a different view. I don't know whether others could see the way how I see it. I think this is an opportunity for the fact that uh, the former president, Chabombeke, was once invited to attend that meeting. For me, I believe that the group of seven, they are still have got a feeling that South Africa is still standing a chance to be favored. And they still have got an opportunity for the investors to come into the country, considering the fact of the system of democracy, followed by the foreign policy of protecting also um, uh, the human rights, which I believe that uh, which is why Comrade um, President Ramaphosa was invited. And I think that that's the reason they might uh, feel uh, towards South Africa. And that is what I see personally myself. We have got an opportunity, the country has got an opportunity. Although South Africa is not a member, they might have invited South Africa to see possible, to see how things are done for those who are rich, in that group, how they do their own things. But I believe in the near future. Let's go on, let's go on. Thank you so much, uh, Romeo. Let's go to KGM. Hamase by Nkuruman. Ndate? Hey, good evening, uh, Songeso, and uh, good evening to your guests and to the listeners. Um, look, it, it, it can only take uh, the gullibility for us to be able to see how much of a tool we have become, whether we're talking the dispensation of the Mbegi administration or the now current Ramaphosa administration, it makes no difference. I mean, uh, when I'm listening to President Ramaphosa speak, I'm listening to a beggar. You know, America, all these countries that are called G7, they, they get into Africa and we still have space for more to fit in not only in terms of size, but also in terms of resources. I don't understand why gullibility still engulfs us to this point. But my parting shot and something that I would like us to engage on, Songezo, and, and with the help of your, your guest. Why is it that even during this time that is said to be covered... You're going to run out uh, of time, KGM, eh? 90 seconds, remember that. 
Okay, okay. Let me leave it at that then. Uh, I think I think what I've said is suffice. I'll I'll, I'll ask this uh, some other time. It's fine. Very well. Thank you so much, Dr. T.K. Bowen. Make notes, please. Navari in Mbombela. It has been a while. It has been a while, Navari. Good evening. Thanks for calling. You have 90 uh, seconds. Uh, uh, no, good evening, Tongeswa, and the, the, your, your, your guests there and the listeners. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, don't really, I really don't understand the grievance uh, with regard to the participation of South Africa in the international forum uh, by invitation, primarily because I think that the role of the state president is, is still be a dad for Kisi. And, and I don't think that we should actually have a problem with him being invited to such a, a magnificent and but also very important uh, meeting of uh, heads of state who probably control the biggest uh, economies of the world. It will help South Africa to be on the map. But precisely because we are recovering from uh, an era where there was a little bit of, you know, uh, despondency about our state of affairs high level of corruption, probably uh, some level of inconsistency on what we do in the world. But, but primarily because South Africa has always been seen as a representative of African continent. And, and I think that your, your guest is correct that we must start to speak about dollars. But dollars only come when there's confidence in your country. But, but secondly is that song as well. We have always said we are non-allied, we are part of the non-allied movement. We, we don't associate on the base of enmity or adversity. We always cooperate, cooperate with those that we think we share perspective and views with. And this doesn't mean that we are choosing BRICS over, we are choosing a, a, the West over BRICS. There's no, it's not in, in competition. It is only on a technical basis that we must cooperate with the entire continent, the entire world, not only separate few that we think we believe in. Very well. Thank you very much. Short to the point and within time, Navari Mbombela, thank you so much. Much appreciated. As usual, KZN, let's go to, you guessed it, Anonymous. Uh, hi, Songezo. I just want to say that, uh, you know, I hope and pray that uh, the new Israeli um, coalition prime minister will please try to resolve the problem between both the, uh, you know, both the parties, the Palestinian and the Israelis, and that they be one happy family and, uh, you know, and they could live in harmony. And also, I want to say, uh, so uh, what's the purpose, what's the job description of any councillor, regardless of uh, which uh, the party they're affiliated to? That's the question I need to ask, and if anybody can come in and tell me. Very well. We'll hopefully have T.K. Bower respond to that, because he is a governance specialist, senior lecturer, in fact, at Fitz University. Let's go to Sam N. Brits. How are you, my brother, and your guest? We are well, thank you, Sam. Go for it. You have about 80 seconds. Yeah, I just want to agree with your your guest, Dabowe. I think South Africa must choose one side to lean on. I can give an example. Look at Zimbabwe right now. It's a, it's a poor country. You know Zimbabwe. You know the story about Zimbabwe. It's in deep crisis, economic crisis. But if you check their vaccination or their rollout, it's ahead of South Africa. If you can, if you want to say it like that, their vaccines are from Russia, they are from China. I don't, I don't think it's a good thing to. You must say yes for your side. Remember what Mugabe, the late Mugabe did that time. He said, "Look at the policy," because he, he, he noticed that in, in in Western countries there was nothing to which was coming from that side. So he looked this. I think if South Africa want to rely on your Western countries, fine. Maybe 
it means Russia and China. It's no, it's no go area for South Africa. Very well. Thank you so much, Sam. Much appreciated there for your thoughts. We're compiling a couple of voice notes. You know the drill there, everybody. Under a minute, no background noise. Straight to the point. We'll try and play a couple shortly. But this is a good time for TK to reply to some of the points that have been raised in the conversation so far. Well, I, I think, again, I'll just repeat so that I'm probably not misheard. I'm not saying you, you pick one or, or the other. I'm just simply saying have consistency in your foreign policy. And at the moment... Uh, I, I don't see the, the gains of a foreign policy where you're invited to a place, but there's actually nothing, you can't give me the rant and sense of it. I think that's uh, just that's the first point. And secondly, I think we also need to be a bit more strategic going forward about this issue of foreign policy. So that foreign policy, I think it's glamorous in that you get invited to many different places. But I think South Africa, we've, we've, we've done this for the last two decades. It's not a place where South Africa is not known. What I'm simply putting forward is to say what, and ask the question, what is our foreign policy vis-a-vis what we've seen for the last 10 years where we've said our, some of our closest allies are, are Russia and China? And really, what are you going to get from the G7? It only has to be rent and sense, because I think that's what we really want. And if it's not there, then I think we should rather just take a strategic role and say, listen, we're neither friends nor foe with anyone. We're the only people want to deal with is basis on trade, and that's about it. Very well. Let's ask this question very quickly. Israel-Palestine. Uh, Anonymous did mention something, never mind the question that she asked about the role of counsellors. What can you say so far as it relates to the potential new dawn of relations or in the settlement of the, of the dispute, long-standing dispute, between Israel and Palestine, given the fact that the former has a new government? I'll put it like this. It's actually a very good lesson for those people that are calling for a lot of coalition in South Africa. Because this new uh, Israeli uh, government, and I think it's Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, is actually a coalition of people who were so tired of uh, the former that they decided let's go together. But if you actually look internally, it's such a, it's it's a it's actually a very a varied and wide coalition from far left and far right people. And if people are thinking that uh, Naftali Bennett is going to be any different from uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, I just remind them that his mentor was actually the former, the outgoing Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. So on his issue of Palestine, to be more direct, I don't really see the, the policy changing. It could change in, in terms of he's not going to be as harsh, possibly, uh, as, as uh, Netanyahu, but he doesn't believe in having a two-state solution, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't really see where the change is going to come from. And maybe to quickly answer the question of what councils are supposed to do, they're supposed to be the intermediary between you and the municipality. They're supposed to represent you. And uh, one of the things we don't see often enough in the country is they're actually supposed to have work committees where you as community members, they report to you to say, what if this is the vote I'm taking in council, this is what I'm doing in council. And I don't think many councils actually do that in the country. Of course, let's bring it back home. Hashtag Zandila Gumeda and her co-accused charged with racketeering. What do you make of the fight against corruption now that we are seeing more and more appear before court high-ranking officials within the public service? Uh, I probably lean on your legal experience to say uh, this issue of a fight against corruption, it should not actually be a fight. It should be the norm that if the legal system finds that there is corruption, <laughs> we should actually be seeing people go to jail. I think we've heard this, South Africans, and I think I'd probably echo what they're saying, we're sick and tired of being told that there is a fight. We, we don't want to see fights. We want to see or, orange overalls. We want to see people being held accountable for what they accuse. So while it's great to see that the, the legal system in inverted commas is working, I'm one of those people, I believe in the fruits. I want to see the end fruit, which is to say, are people going to jail? Because we can have this song and dance for a year, because I think her case has been postponed for another year or so. What if she's let out scot-free? What then? 
Are people then going to people are then going to turn around and say, but listen, I people either in the media or people from the NPA, you guys were saying this person has about I think it's over three hundred charges. How do three hundred charges disappear? So I'm one of those people. I, I don't comment a lot on corruption because I think in South Africa it's sort of become a sport, which is to say, you we are fighting corruption, but we don't see people go to get into orange overall. So for me, I, I only want to comment when it's all said and done because I'm getting a bit tired to to be told that it's happening because I want to see it, it, you shouldn't be telling me it's happening. Byproduct of having a an actual law system and the institutions that support it work is people automatically go to jail for doing wrong. But we were in the doldrums for the longest time where one didn't get the sense that the rule of law meant anything, particularly for those who were close to the political faction that was in the ascendancy. Now that seems to have changed, and for sure, nobody wants to go down without a fight, certainly not somebody with much to lose. And that is going to happen. It's going to happen anywhere at any given time. The fact that we are seeing it is that not at least at a base level all the signs that point to the utopia to which you refer. I, I would say seeing, South Africans were past seeing. We, 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 the only thing we want to see, we want to taste the fruits of this, which is to see people going to jail. Outside this, yes, the last, however, whichever way you choose to classify the last 10 years of the same political party, because it's just different individual, but same political party, that, I think that can, that can be a point of discussion. But I think you probably have to concur that South Africans are like, listen, we, we've seen this song and dance before. All you want to see is those that are guilty go to jail. Beyond that, I think it's, it's just mere rhetoric, really. Well, I got you. Loud and clear. Let's play one voice note so far. There might be more to come. 2033, we are wrapping the segment up. Good evening, Punga and Tim Kulu, the producers and the listeners as well. I was following the president on Facebook and I asked him, there you are smiling next to Boris Johnson that doesn't have load shedding, that doesn't have an, 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 an ever-increasing rate of unemployment in his country. And he was smiling the widest. I mean, he had this wide smile. Now, he states that he's going to borrow more billions. We know that all of these billions are going to be pocketed. And we, you and I, and anyone listening now, are the ones who are going to pay every cent. Just like the 500 billion, which we don't know what it did, we are going to pay it through food increases, petrol increases. The cost of living is too high. Unemployment rate is increasing daily. Companies are shutting down. And you've got this president that is missing in action. It's Honorable Monareng. And- I, I remember Trump. Uh, if Trump was still a president, he was not going to invite South Africa. Or maybe if he invite African, uh, any country from Africa, he was going to invite at least four, five leaders at the same time. Trump did not have a favor, even if I'm South African, but I don't like uh, uh, Biden, you know. He's not the kind of president I like, you know. Trump, he was straightforward, he was a straight shooter. He don't care, he don't have a friend. He just lead by example, and uh, the economy under him was very powerful. Tabo, uh, thank you. Yeah, Tabo, you have put a smile on face for sure on uh, Phineas's face. Phineas was celebrating the fact that Donald Trump turned 75 yesterday or today, and that comment has made him smile. I've never seen him smile as much as that. TK, do respond to some of these comments, because I think one or two have aligned with your earlier submissions. Yes, I think, we, and I love the use of Donald Trump, but I think sometimes you need, 
you, you need the, you know, the emperor needs to be shown to really have no clothes on. Not saying that the, uh, our president doesn't have clothes, he's got very nice suits from, from what I've seen. But <laughs> it's simply, look, it's called real politics, which is to say we need to sometimes make a fair assessment of what we are and what we are not. What we are, we'd love to be a G7 country based on our economy, but that's not the case. And I don't see you visiting these G7 meetings making you any richer. And it just goes back to the point I said in the beginning. Look, if you know your South African history, you know that we've seen this before. It's not anything new, and people should not be taken aback that we, we get invited. South Africa always gets invited. We are or in a decade where people are saying, listen, I've got real-life problems, and key among them is unemployment and poverty. And if any, if any jet or if any minister or even the president leaves the country and they're not bringing back anything to solve this problem, then, we, as I said, we are simply we're playing games. We're playing marbles when the world is, is already playing on one Nintendo and PlayStation. Yeah, those are heavy thoughts. Final question the producer insists I ask, and I shall do so because without her, there isn't me. Provinces are preparing for their conferences. We know that there is a step-aside rule, which some are not entertaining at all. Question is, what does this mean if you're facing charges? Are you allowed to stand for election or accept nomination to a certain position within the party if you are facing such charges, which on ordinary reading of the charge should mean that you step aside? The short answer is you should not be uh, t- actually being being allowed to be on the on the I think on the on the slate for lack of a better word. However, the key question will be who will stop you? Because that, that's the big, that's been the big thing of step aside. Not until the national office and sometimes certain provinces actually step in, which is to say they make a clear cut saying, "Listen, you're not you're not going to assume this position." Will you stop? Because as you said, most people when they don't they don't simply say, "Listen, oh well, this is a system." They go down fighting. So, in to answer your question in short, you're not supposed to be there. But what we've seen is people are rather willing to say, "I'll take my chance until." The national office tells me otherwise. Very well. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. T.K. Boy, Senior Lecturer, Vitz School of Governance. That, folks, thanks for your contributions and your time, and most importantly, your attention, was the hashtag we can rep. We continue now talking things race and racism. Racism is not the problem, at least according to the head of campaigns at the Institute for Race Relations, Mr. Gabriel Krauser.